one of the challenges of a multi-generational church, right? Like, like Emmanuel, right? One of the challenges of a multi-generational church in discipleship is figuring out how to tie all these people together from different generations and different backgrounds and different things uh, to, to, together. And I think spiritual disciplines are one of the ways in which we can do that. You know, we, we, are, we are disciplining ourselves all towards the same direction, regardless of our age bracket or our socioeconomic bracket or our background or whether we're from the Midwest or the South or whatever. You know, we are... Um, Spiritual disciplines can, can help tie a church together. So one of the things I hope you know, comes across in this class over the course of our weeks together is that spiritual study of spiritual disciplines is, is not just for individuals, right? It's not just for us as individuals. It's, it's for the church as a whole. It's to strengthen the body of Christ uh, and to, Lord willing, strengthen us kind of all in the same direction. So anyway, there's that. All right, guys, so let's, um, let's go ahead and let me open us up in a word of prayer, and then we will uh, dig into uh, this, what we're going to look at this evening. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity that we have together, and uh, I thank you for uh, our church, uh, the church family that uh, has provided a, a, uh, the, the resources and supplies and the room and the teaching and the means by which we can study uh, your word uh, more thoroughly and more faithfully. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So uh, we left off last week kind of in this section on Bible intake, right? Bible intake for godliness. Uh, In your book, this is actually uh, big enough that it covers two chapters, right? So there's you know, two chapters on Bible intake. We're going to kind of, in terms of the material, kind of finish talking about the material in the, in the first part of Bible intake and then talk about the second part as well. But I just want to reiterate this point. Now I have a board I can illustrate this point as well. One of the reasons we spend so much time talking about Bible intake in reference to the spiritual disciplines, and I've mentioned this before, but I just want to say it again. So whether we're talking about the discipline of evangelism, maybe we're talking about the discipline of stewardship, maybe we're talking about the discipline of prayer, maybe we're talking about the discipline of worship. I had a, in Centerville, by our first church out of seminary, I had a couple guys in our church that they said, they didn't say worship, they said worship, like worship. And so I, I saw this meme the other day and I sent it to Jacob and uh, it said a church is looking for a worship leader and it had a, like a Navy admiral, you know, dressed up. Anyway, I thought it was funny. So whether we're talking about the spiritual discipline of stewardship or evangelism or prayer or worship, we have to begin with Bible intake because it's interconnected to all the other disciplines, whatever it is that we also may talk about, right? It is, it is the, it's the substance of everything else that we do. 
right? So for instance, when we talk about evangelism, you know, a couple weeks here, we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of evangelism, of sharing your faith, right? And all the various opportunities God gives you to do that, right? So if we're thinking about the spiritual discipline of evangelism, inevitably, the question comes up, what do I say, right? What's the difference between good evangelism and bad evangelism? Is there such a thing, right? How do we measure effective evangelism versus ineffective evangelism? All these, uh, all these sorts of things we can ask, right? Well, the substance of our evangelism must be Scripture, right? Must be informed by the Bible. If we are communicating the gospel, how we define what the gospel is, right, has to be informed by Scripture. Same thing with prayer, right? How do I pray? What do I pray? These questions that are often asked when we think about prayer, right? Well, again, the substance of our prayers must be tied to Scripture. It has to be tied to the Bible, right? It's the center. It's, so we, we, have, we shouldn't think of the disciplines like a bunch of disconnected tasks, right? But rather a web with Bible intake at the center, right? So again, this is a review, but just to reemphasize that point while we're spending so much time talking about Bible intake. All right, so where we left off last week, we were talking about, as we think about Bible intake, there's a lot of different ways to take in Scripture, right? Of course, nothing as standard or as necessary uh, as just, you know, reading, right? Reading the Bible. We've got to start somewhere. We've got to start there, right? Reading or listening to the Bible, right? So whether it's through your own personal devotion, whether it's through corporate worship on Sunday morning, we talked about the difference between kind of speedboat reading and glass-bottom boat reading. Uh, and we left off last week talking about studying God's Word, like asking this big question, how do we study God's Word? And oftentimes it's really just a difference between having a pencil and a piece of paper, writing down the text, writing down observations from the text, questions that you may have, doing the hard work of looking up those cross-references, reading your study Bible notes, finding key words, looking them up at the coordinates, different things like that. So another aspect of, of studying God's Word that I've, I've found helpful at times, it's not necessarily something that I think is the only way to study, to really study the Bible in depth, but I think it's, it can be a helpful tool at times, is actually um, outlining uh, a chapter or a pair, you know, outlining a chapter of the Bible, one paragraph at the time. How many of you did sentence outlines or paragraph outlines in English grammar in school growing up, right? So diagramming a sentence, these sorts of things. You could do something similar, maybe not to that detail, but you could do something similar with the biblical text. You can diagram, you can outline the, a paragraph within a chapter or even a chapter as a whole to kind of break it apart. Now, we're not trying to atomize the text and take it out of context, but sometimes it, tell, it helps us take a... So maybe 
maybe you're all better readers than I am, and, and this has never happened to you, but have you ever gotten like the end, to the end of a paragraph or the end of a chapter in the Bible, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really sure what I just read. <laughs> right? So the temptation is just to kind of toss it and just move on forward, and then maybe you'll get it later. Right? But if, if you find yourself running into that frequently, one of the things that may be valuable for you to do is stop, reread the text again, read it slowly, and actually copy the text onto a piece of paper, right? Underline or highlight the nouns, the verbs, who's doing what, these sorts of things. Like, break, you know, again, break it apart almost like you're, you're, you're editing or grading a term paper, something like that, you know? But, but what, it, what it forces you to do is to stop and think about the parts, right? And what, how the parts come together to communicate the whole, right? Now, again, there's a place as we talked about for kind of speedboat reading, just kind of getting through big chunks of the text. But particularly if you're doing that glass bottom boat reading, you know, if you're doing that slow, steady reading and studying uh, of the Bible and you get to a part that's particularly confusing, uh, sometimes it's helpful just to kind of pick it apart. And if you stick with it, and if you just kind of outline a paragraph at a time through a chapter and you move on to the next chapter and maybe you decide to do this each day for a month or each day as you go through maybe a book of the Bible, eventually you'll have outlined an entire book of the Bible, right? And you've got your notes there. You can reference it back uh, later, maybe maybe a year, two, three, four, five years down the road. Uh, when you come back to that particular book, you'll kind of see how you were able to, uh, you know, understand it slowly by seeing the pieces come together into a whole, right? So one of the other valuable tools that we have when it comes to studying God's Word is, is using the just shockingly overwhelming abundance of tools that we have available to us in this day and age, right? Whether it's commentaries, word studies, topical studies, book studies and surveys, these sorts of things. We have access to so many resources, either free or relatively cheap, uh, that we have the ability, um, even as just regular readers of the Bible, to really take advantage of um, uh, serious scholarship and scholarship that takes God's word seriously to help us understand what the text is trying to say. Now, that might be online resources. That might be as simple as getting a, um, um, those of you that are not employees or students of HLG, it may be as simple as getting a, a community a library card membership there at HLG. They, they call it something. I can't remember what it is right now. But there's a bajillion commentaries there at HLG. You can go there. You can study. You can take a look at commentaries and word studies, uh, books on theology, church history, these sorts of things. All of, the, all of the, um, the, the resources that we have available to us, which could not have even been dreamed of even 50, 100 years ago, are really quite staggering, right? Worst case scenario, just come by my house and I've got one or two books you can borrow, um, 46 boxes, right, John? John counted when he was moving them into my house. But I've got a book or two you can borrow to help with resources. And so what, what I'm saying is, don't be, don't neglect the ordinary means of study that God has given you access to by sovereignly placing you 
in this time and in this place where we have relatively ease of access to different things. Does that make sense? If you want to get particularly adventurous, right, and if you maybe happen to have uh, three free hours a week in the fall and, and you, really, you want an additional tool in your Bible study toolbox, let me commend to you perhaps um, knowing a little bit about the original languages that the Bible was written in. Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. Uh, the plan right now, it might change if I can talk somebody into it to, to me not having to do it. But right now, the plan, I'll be teaching um, Hebrew uh, in the fall at HLG. You can audit the course and uh, jump in and learn, learn just enough Hebrew to be dangerous, right? But, uh, but you can always audit the class, these sorts of things. But the original languages, again, I know a lot of people think that's way outside of, um, of, of their needs. And I, you know, we've got great English translations. It's certainly not necessary. Uh, but I don't think there's such a thing as being too equipped. Uh, to study God's word, if that makes sense, right? So there is that. So a couple book recommendations. Um, normally I have my PowerPoint and I have these projected up on the, on the screen, but I'm going to write these down. So just some great entry-level book recommendations to help uh, kind of uh, in how to study the Bible specifically, right? So there's a book called uh, How... To read the Bible for all it's worth yeah for all it's worth right and that's uh, by Gordon Fee I got to get an eraser And then um, Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart. This is definitely not a new book, so you can usually get it. You can get it pretty cheap on Kindle. You can find used copies on Amazon. And then there's another kind of companion volume and kind of in the same series. Um, I think it's How to Read the Bible Book by Book. Yeah, how to read the Bible book by book. That's also Fee and Stewart. And these are good, kind of good, simple, entry-level, kind of one-volume books that kind of give you... So, How to Read the Bible uh, for All It's Worth does a really great job of kind of breaking down things like uh, genre, giving you uh, kind of... So, how do you read, like, the Psalms differently than you may read, like, First Kings or Acts. Uh, it gives you a good kind of grasp on biblical theology, on the message of the Bible as a whole... Um, whereas how to read the Bible book by book, it really just kind of each, it really just kind of gives you a good like chapter, kind of maybe two chapter length, uh, intro to each book of the Bible. So just, you know, so a lot of you, if you have study Bibles, you know, you may get like a two or three paragraph intro to each book in your study Bible. This gives you a little bit more sub kind of like one step beyond that. So these are good resources, I think. 
uh, just to kind of help get you started. The big thing that I want to emphasize here is, again, you know, I just, I, just, I just talked to you a little bit about taking advantage of all the tools and all the resources that we have in this day and age, you know, particularly with the internet and access of information. But I do also want to warn you and caution you in um, not being satisfied only with kind of, don't be baby birds, right? Don't only be satisfied with pre-digested food. And, and what I mean by that is it's, it's significantly easier in your, rather than studying the Bible for yourself, to just listen to, you know, sermon podcasts or Bible study recordings all day, every day. Obviously, those things are good. And you definitely need to be listening to expositions of the biblical text on Sunday morning as part of Lord's Day worship, part of your local church. But obviously beyond that, listening to sermons, listening to Bible studies are great tools and resources, but don't be satisfied only with that pre-digested food, right? You need to get in, you need to get into the text, you need to get your hands dirty, right? Maybe literally with ink and eraser and that kind of stuff. Uh, but studying the Bible is a contact sport, right? You need to, you need to get in and you need to do it yourself and not lean only on the works of others. We ought to uh, do the best we can to experiencing the joy of discovering biblical insights firsthand through our own study of the Bible. So some questions to ask ourselves, right? Is if your growth in godliness were measured by the quality of your Bible intake, what would be the result? Think about that for a minute. If your growth in godliness, your sanctification, were measured by the quality of your Bible intake, what would be the result? And that's a question that you can really only ask yourself. I forgot my Bible here. You can really only ask that yourself and really think about it. Because I know it's probably not, your answer to that question is probably not always the same, but it always, so they say the wise, you know, Proverbs says the, the wise man learns um, through the mistakes of the fool, right? So a mark of biblical wisdom is learning from the mistakes uh, of others. I've always had difficulty with that because I seem to only, I'm a seem, I only seem to be able to learn from my own mistakes that I make over and over and over again. And so one of the things I notice in my own spiritual life is when I find myself in a place where my relationship with Christ seems the most thin, right? As, as Tolkien would say, like butter scraped over too much bread, right? When, when my relationship with Christ seems to be its most thin is 99.9% .9 of the time it's in those seasons of my life where my Bible intake is at its most thin, right? Or surface level, if we put it that way, right? So again, this is, this is not, it's not necessarily a one-for-one -one correlation. This is proverbially true. But I think as so goes your Bible intake, so will go your growth uh, in godliness, and one of the things, we'll, we'll consider this like some, some early in the class tonight homework, but a, a little preliminary homework for you guys for this week. 
But think, of, think about this. What is, maybe, and we'll come back next time at the beginning of next class, and we'll see if you guys have come up with an answer. But what's one thing, just one thing, that you can do in a week, maybe not day to day, but maybe just maybe one thing you can do that you can to improve your intake of God's word. Take some time, think about it, take this week and think about it. And we'll come back maybe next beginning of next week and see what suggestions y'all might have. But what is one thing that you can do to improve your intake of God's word? Okay. All right, any questions on studying God's Word? I find for a lot of people that this is the most overwhelming in the sense that you get one of, usually with a lot of people in my, in my pastoral experience, I, I find people that are usually fall into one of two ditches, right? They either think, well, I never went to Bible college, I never took a Bible class, I never went to seminary, like, I'm not trained to really study the Bible. I can read it in church when the pastor's there to explain it to me, but I'm not really trained to read, you know, and, and know what the Bible's trying to communicate to me, right? And, and I, I hope, as we've been talking since last week and this week, that you've seen that that is demonstrably false. The other ditch that a lot of people fall into, of course, is the opposite ditch, where I have come across people that they think they're the only ones that know how to study the Bible rightly. <laughs> and they're not willing to submit the conclusions that they draw from the Bible to the authorities within their local church. A lot of times these guys don't have any authorities in their local church because they refuse to become a part of one. Uh, or they refuse to submit themselves to the interpretation of uh, Christians in all times and all places, right? So the Bible is the norming norm that norms all other norms, right? The, the, the Bible is the central authority, but there are other authorities. Church tradition, right? Church history does play a part because if you read the Bible, right? So let's say Angela reads Philippians chapter one and she gets, she, she, she comes up and she says, you know what? God showed me this in Philippians chapter one and no one has ever thought it or said it or expressed that view ever in 2,000 years of church history. Now, maybe she's right, but there's a good chance she's a heretic. <laughs> now, so you get what I'm saying, right? Like, so, so if there's, it's not to say, I mean, the Bible literally says there's nothing new under the sun. It's not to say that we can't articulate something new, but, but even in times of great, and I'm going to put my church history hat on for a second, so just bear with me. But I think this is important when it comes to studying God's word, because so, for instance, when we look at something like Martin Luther, right, and the Protestant Reformation, right, one of the big critiques against Luther by the Roman Catholics was that you're being novel, you're coming up with new theology. This is not what the church has historically taught. This was the, the criticism uh, that the, the, uh, the Roman lawyers and the bishops and the pope had against Luther. And Luther's response was not you know what, you're right, the Holy Spirit told me this is what, you know, this gave me this new revelation. That is not what Luther said. Luther said the exact opposite. He said, no, what you're doing, your system of, of Pope, your system of the Curia, your system of canon law, that's what's new. That's novel. If we go back to the Bible, if we go back to the text, if we go back to 
the earliest days of the church, you'll find none of these things that you're practicing, none of the indulgences, none of the sacraments, none of these sorts of things. Does that make sense? Right, so even Luther, right, who and in his day was considered uh, a radical and an, an inventor. Luther is saying, no, that, that's why we call it a reformation and not a revolution. Right? Revolutions are bad, almost always. It's a reformation, right, is, is what we are approaching. So there's, there's that, right? So we, we, want to, we want to avoid the temptation to think that we are, as, as quote-unquote regular Christians, no such thing, C.S. Lewis said there's, you'll look around, there's no such thing as mere mortals, right? But regular Christians can read and understand the Bible. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit to help us, right? One of the functions, one of the things that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does, the, the fancy theological word for this is illumination, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit imparts to us knowledge and wisdom of what the text means, right? So we, we want to avoid the temptation to say that we can't understand the Bible, but we also want to avoid the temptation to twist and contort the Bible to conform to our own image. Does that make sense? So twin dangers, I think, of studying the Bible that we have to be aware of. Questions, thoughts, comments before we move on to the next thing? Yes, sir. What would you say then to different Yeah. Great question. So you've just, you've just entered into a topic I could definitely spend the next four weeks talking about, but let's tr- we'll tr- I'll try to keep it simple. Yeah, so obviously what I don't mean to say is that everybody's going to agree on everything all the time, and if there's any disagreement, you know, you're a heretic. But so what we have to do when we read the Bible and when we study the Bible We have to be able to understand that as we, as two different Christians, right? So if you've got two Christians in a room, chances are you've got three different theological views, right? But, or maybe that's just Baptists, but it's pretty much, it's actually everybody. So we, so as we read the Bible, as we study the Bible, as we come to different biblical conclusions, what we have to do is we have to be able to differentiate the degree of difference. Does that make sense, Right? So there's, there's an a understanding called, a way of handling this, called theological triage. So obviously like medical triage, right? So Kathy could tell us all about that, right? So if, if somebody comes into the hospital and they have the flu, and if somebody comes into the hospital and they have a gunshot wound, you're going to treat them differently. It's not to say that you don't love them equally. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to treat them differently because one is more pressing than the other, okay? So when we look at theological difference, when we look at differences of biblical interpretation from studying the Bible, we can do something similar in that understanding differences at a different degree or a different level. Some differences are the difference of having a cold, right? And other differences are the difference of, you know, being decapitated on the freeway, right? It's just the, the degree, right? So we can, we can have first order, second order, and third tier issues. So first order issues would be things like the Trinity, right? Or the uh, dual nature of Christ, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, 
right? Like, like um, Nicene Creed, Apostles' Creed sorts of issues. These first-tier issues are, you know what, the, these differences are significant enough that, that if, if you don't believe in the Trinity, you're not a Christian, right? You're worshiping a different God than what is revealed in the Bible, right? That's, that's a, this is a gunshot wound sort of issue. Does that make sense? Now, there's other issues like um, understanding of what the church is, and then from that, the ordinances like baptism, Lord's Supper, um, we could go to even um, spiritual gifts in the, in the sense of uh, charismatic gifts, speaking in tongues, glossolalia, uh, prophecy, these sorts of things. Now, these are, these are significant enough differences of biblical interpretation where, you know, you're, you're still a Christian. Like, we still, we're still worshiping Jesus, right? Jesus is the same, right? There's still the same trinity, these sorts of things. Salvation's still the same. But there's enough differences there that we functionally can't be members of the same church, right? And so, de- so this is your denominational differences are like part two, are like stage two. So for instance, um, so, for, so, so why are there, so like Baptists and Presbyterians, right? So why are they two different groups? Well, there are a lot of different reasons, but one of the big reasons of, of Baptists and Presbyterians have a different definition of, of what the church is. How do you get into the church? How are you not in the church, right? Different understanding of, of, of what, what it is and what it does and what it's for, right? And so functionally, if you've got two people with two different theological understandings of what we're doing here, right, like, like what the church is, then functionally speaking, you, you just, you really can't be, I mean, you could be part of the same church in the sense that one of you is going to have to submit your views to the other one, but you both can't hold your views simultaneously and really kind of functionally be in the same congregation unless everyone just ignores it, which is, I think, not really healthy. Does that make sense, right? And so, so they're, they're, they're not differences of, okay, well, you're a Christian or not a Christian. They're differences of, it's, it's just not functionally coherent for us to be members of the same church, right? And then you could have third-tier issues, which would be different, maybe differences of, of methodology. So like how we do church in the sense of maybe like worship styles, um, uh, certain aspects of church organization. You know, so do we have like one primary pastor? Do we have a board of elders? These sorts of things. It could be issues of certain issues of eschatology. So end times. So eschatology is a little tricky because parts of it are first tier issues and parts of it are third tier issues. So like if you deny that Jesus is coming back, you're not a Christian. (laughs) That's a first tier issue because he said it. If you don't believe it, you're calling Jesus a liar. Now, when he's coming back, right, that's a third-tier issue, right? We can, we can disagree on some of the specifics on that, uh, and, and it, won't, it doesn't divide us to the point of, you know, needing to organize together in different churches, right? So that was probably an incredibly long answer to your very simple question. But obviously, differences do happen. Differences do come up. And I think... This is going to sound like two plus two equals a basket of oranges. 
But I think denominations are actually healthy. They're actually good things. Because otherwise, if we, it would be like trying to, like, like it, I've heard this expression, maybe this is a southern expression, I've never actually seen this done because this would be cruel. But it, it's like tying two cats together, right? Like, like, like you, you think churches are like prone to arguments over like the color of the carpet. You know, imagine what it would be like if we're constantly arguing about like, well, are you in this church or, or like, are you a part of this church or are you not? Like, like the, the, the definition of a church is different. You know, like can women be pastors or can they not be pastors? Like if you have different answers to that question, I mean, you know, one of you is going to be in charge. <laughs> and so, you know, you may submit your view to the church as a whole, but like in terms of a church on, on a church belief statement, one of those sides have to win. You can't hold both of those things at the same time because it involves different understandings of the text. So anyway, does that too much answer your question? Yeah. Which there's several denominations. There are. That yeah, so. That's, a, that's kind of a first year problem. Yeah, I mean. If you can believe you can lose your salvation. Yeah. Then that means you, in my opinion, don't believe in what Jesus yeah. did. Yeah, you have a different definition of what the gospel is. So, so yeah, so there, there are definitely, like, one better way to represent this might be kind of as a, as a dotted line. <laughs> because because the, just to be honest with you, like part of the problem too is like not everyone can even agree on what's a first tier, what's a second tier, and what's a third tier issue. This is part of the problem too is we're not even all playing from the same rule book, you know. And so I would, I would agree with you I, 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 to an extent. Like I'm not necessarily going to say, I'm not going to automatically, like if somebody comes to me and says, that Jesus was just a really awesome guy that was so good, God gave him special powers, my brain is going to instantly put you in the not-Christian tank, right? But if somebody comes to me and says, you know, if, 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 I, if I sin um, and if I don't confess it right away or if I don't confess it sin sincerely, uh, my, my salvation is, is going to go away. My, my salvation is going to poof, Right? I would, I, that's not an automatic first tier issue for me. I, I think it sits right on the border. I think if you dig and probe enough, eight, nine times out of 10 with that person, what you're gonna find is someone who just doesn't quite understand everything all right together. There, there will be some people that are very committed to that. And I think for people that are very committed to that, they have a different definition of what is the gospel, right? Like what Jesus did on the cross, right? I think it was, um, I'm not sure if it was Spurgeon, but we can just say it is because he says a lot of good things. Uh, but I, I think it was Spurgeon that said, basically, if you, um, if, you could lose, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Right? The, the idea there being, again, that, that if, 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 if salvation is something that you earn, if salvation is something that you have to pursue and you earn and you lose and you earn it back and you lose it back, you functionally really... You would you would never really get it back, you know. So yeah, John, did you have your hand up? Yeah, uh, I actually saw this uh, forty years ago. 
Yeah, I'm sure. This is not. This is definitely not unique to me. Yeah. Yeah. So one one pastor was extremely um, pro Great Commission, the gospel sharing it. Uh, and if you're not, you're probably not saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, to another one that was uh, God moves in the heart. You can't save yourself. People can't save you. And so his thing about sharing the gospel was extremely low. Right, yeah. Those two guys, again, I mean, they're, they're not going to get along in the same church. Sure, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just some, some functional differences that just, you know, it's, it's, it's better. It's actually, again, it's going to sound incoherent, but it's actually better for Christian unity for denominations sometimes to exist. Right. It's not again, even within the same denomination, not everybody agrees. You know, Lord knows that's true. But the, there are certain bounds where it's just functionally, you know, different interpretations just ex- exclude certain levels of unity. You know, so that, that's the same thing, too. Like, so, for instance, even with like a first tier issue, you know, so I'll I'll go to a pro a pro life rally with a Mormon. I don't think they're Christians, you know. But 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 I'll I'll pursue or I'll have a friendship with with a Mormon, you know, like 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 that's the, these different different levels uh, assumed certain sorts of association. You know, I might even uh, write a, you know, write a book together with a friend of mine who's uh, a Presbyterian. You know, we have very different views on baptism, let's say, in the Lord's Supper, but we have common views on this other topic, you know. And so we, we, we can do some things together. We could even, you know, but what we're probably not going to do is start a church together. And we're probably not going to send, you know, necessarily send a mission, you know, depending on the goal of the, the mission, you know, missionary. Uh, if, it's, if the goal of the mission, sending out a missionary is to plant a church, we're probably not going to do that together. But there's other things that we could do together. Does that make sense? You know, yeah. So, but, I mean, HLG is a good example, right? So we've got faculty. Uh, you know, we, we have a... a a basic, you know, ba- a bit, kind of a baseline um, statement of faith, but not everybody is even, you know, the same denomination necessarily. You just have to affirm, the, you know, this, these particular statements, and, uh, and, but we can all serve together at, you know, uh, a Christian university. So, anyway. All right, well, let's, uh, great discussion, great question. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Obviously, Bible study doesn't mean we're all going to end up with the same conclusions. Dealing with differences is is one of the one of the most important factors of, of 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 studying your Bible. One of the things I would say, though, just you know, again reiterating this point, this is why Bible study is so important within the context of a local church, right? Because best case scenario, <laughs> if, if if you're at a if you're at a healthy church like ours that has a, a firm statement of faith and a firm commitment um, uh, to to doctrine and to um, uh, biblical order, then we may we may come to different conclusions, but we at least are talking the same language, right? We we can we can at least have discussions, even though we may come to different conclusions on third tier issues. And and if one of us gets a wild hair, 
right, and comes through their Bible study, comes to a conclusion that's outside of the bounds, right, then we have a local church that can help maybe reel us in, you know, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and guide us and point us in the right direction, these sorts of things. So it's, it's the Lone Ranger kind of solo Christian Bible studies that, that always make me nervous. <laughs> like, I mean, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on a soapbox for a minute and know that what I'm about to say is not the opinion of Emanuel Baptist Church or Hannibal Grange University or any other institution that I may or may not be a party of. But one of the most dangerous places that you can be in in your Christian faith is in a Bible study that's not connected to a local church. Now, does that mean that they're all bad? No, right? Uh, Going through a walk in the wilderness savannas of Africa is not necessarily bad until a lion tears your face off, right? It's, 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 it, but it's so dangerous, right? Because a bunch of people just gathering around, just throwing random stuff out that they observe, it could be edifying and it could all be right. And Lord, and Lord will hope that it is. But if, if there's no mechanism for accountability, right? If, if there's no mechanism for, for temperance, you know, there's no mechanism for a, a called out pastor or elder to say, ah, you don't quite... There, there's, there's something here you're missing. You don't quite have that uh, just right. Um, there's such a potential for disaster in, in so many cases. So anyway, that's a soapbox. That's my, my personal opinion. So take, take that with a grain of salt. All right, let's talk about, uh, what time do we have? Almost, okay, good. I've got 10 minutes to talk about memorizing the whole Bible. Perfect. All right, so memorization, right? Another way that we can intake the Bible, right? Bible intake for godliness. One of the other ways that we can uh, take in the Bible is through memorization. Bible memory. So I've been talking a lot. What are some common reasons that maybe you've had in your own personal life or maybe that you've heard from friends or family? What are some common reasons um, for not memorizing the Bible, like like why why do why don't more people do this? Do you think? It takes a lot of time. It's a lot of time, depending on your memory, especially right. Yeah. For it takes some people more time than it does for others. But yeah, no doubt about it. it takes a lot of time. It does, no doubt about it. What else? I'm sorry. Yeah, you can just read it. You you know you've got a Bible app on your phone. You're carrying a Bible around with you. You know, probably wherever you go, you know, you just, what's the point, right? But yeah, you can just open it up and read. Yeah, definitely. What else? You do. Yes, ma'am. No doubt about it. You have to, you have to take the time to have the time <laughs> to memorize, no doubt. Rebecca? Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And review it, go over it. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to have to go over that passage when you go to the next day. You do. You know, pretty soon you've got four hours tied up in in memorization. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's a good excuse. That's right. No doubt about it. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had someone come here one time. 
Yeah. I've seen it done a few times, and, and I actually was very briefly, and then I chickened out. Uh, I, was, I was in a, a scripture memory group that we were trying to memorize Philippians. And I, I'm actually, I'll, I'm, I plan on bringing it tonight, and I forgot. I'm going to bring it next, uh, next week. But uh, if, if, if you want to take it for a spin, uh, I actually have a great system, uh, a little guidebook, in other words, for, for memorizing a book of the Bible. And they start with Philippians because it's relatively short. But, uh, but, but yeah, they, if you, if you want to see this in action, I know one particular place you can go. If you go, you can YouTube it tonight uh, or tomorrow. Um, but if you uh, YouTube uh, David Platt and Romans. But so one Sunday morning, uh, David Platt used to be uh, is pastor of a big church in Birmingham, used to be president of the IMB. He's now a president or he's now the, a pastor of a church in the uh, D.C. area. But um, he wrote the book Radical. Anyway, uh, but there's a sermon of his you can go on. And literally his sermon was he got up behind the pulpit and just started saying Romans from memory. And he said the whole book of Romans and that was his sermon, just now, you know, he, you know, and a lot of people said, well, he's crazy smart. Yes, he is. He did his PhD in, on the preaching of origin, which early church father, crazy. He castrated himself. It's a long story. But regardless, very smart guy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's impossible to do, right? And maybe you're not the whole book of the Bible memory type, but just because you can't do... I try to explain this. One of my sons has, the, has his dad's spiritual gift of if, if it's going to take me more than one step, I'm just not going to bother with it, right? And so one of my sons has the, has the gift of if, if, if I have to leverage like 5% effort into this task, I'm out. I'm done, right? So we, we have to be, you know, when we think about scripture memory, we have to stop and think, okay, I may not be able to do the most difficult thing possible, like memorize the entire book of Romans, right? But just because I may not be able to handle that, I think you actually could handle that if you, just, again, if you just gave it time. You know, you may, it may take you a few years instead of taking you a few weeks, but, uh, but doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue it um, at all, right? So why memorize? Yes, Rebecca. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. John? To jump on what Kathy said, uh, the, the guy that came. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember if he told the group or I was just talking to an individual. I don't remember which it was. But one of the things he did say was for him to memorize so well, he had to understand what was written really well. So he actually kind of so the study went first. Study that information, that, that thing, read commentaries, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Really understand it. Then it was so much easier to memorize it mm-hmm. when he fully understood it. Right. So um, it's not so much, maybe it's not so important, the memorization, but the, the process. The process and the time. So it's not the destination, maybe it's the, the path there. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it.
what he was missing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Up in Michigan, but and we listened to a guest speaker. I think we were there for a week, wasn't it? And, but anyway, you could write this name down if, and, and googling or something. But he has re- memorized the entire Bible. Yeah. Kind of flipping in his yeah, head, he yeah. Flipping it in his head, and I was flipping my Bible, and every, uh, yeah. Yeah. He was, it's pretty, it was pretty amazing. It is. God blessed him with it. Yeah, he's memorized the entire Bible. That's awesome. You know, there is such a thing called closing up the Bible. Right. Yeah, it does, it does sound like that. You're right, it does. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, you know, we, we, we could talk about a lot of reasons why, you know, it's, it's beneficial or fruitful uh, to memorize Scripture. But let me, let me I'm a, I want to zoom in on one particular thing. Um, if we look at Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if, if I had to just kind of pick one thing, you know, one, one encouragement, one kind of push towards memorizing scripture, it's the power to fight sin, the power to resist temptation, right? So let me ask you this, this kind of rhetorical question, but is there somewhere where you cannot be, is there some geographical location, some spot in your day or some place where you can go where you cannot be tempted? So is there somewhere you can go where you can't be tempted, where you will not be tempted by, by anything? No, I just mean, is there, is there just anywhere in your life or any time in your day where you are perfectly immune to temptation? No. no. Yes. Well, even there. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, rhetorical. It's, no, of course not. Right. But there are times and there are places where you may not have your phone with you to look at, look up in your Bible that you may not have, you know, your codex. You know, you may not have your book handy and book with you. But for most of us, I would wager, we always have our brain with us. Hopefully, most of you do, right? It, it, sometimes. It may be a little shaky sometimes, but it's up there. It might be rattling right, right around a little bit, right? But wherever, <coughs> wherever we are, excuse me, so goes our mind. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 
says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. We often think of this as setting your mind, you know, thinking about things, pursuing things. And obviously it means that as well. But at, a, at its very simplest, it, it, what, what do you have written on your mind? You know, what's there? What have you memorized? Some of you have memorized, you know, the routes to drive from point A to point B, right? Some of you have memorized what aisle a particular food item is on in Walmart. What happens when they change it, right? You were ready to set the building on fire, right? <laughs> they just did that, exactly. Yeah, every time we walked into Walmart for like a month, Rebecca and I were like, ah, I know. Do we just, yeah, we just moved here. We just got used to the Walmart and then they changed it. You know, I mean, God has, God has built, think about it this way. God has built your brain to memorize things. You do it accidentally. You don't even always do it on purpose. This is what I tell people. So again, there's not, you know, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to depart in the middle of our memorization uh, discussion. We'll pick back, pick this back up next week, but I'm going to leave you with this bit of encouragement and, or um, admonition maybe. But again, back in Lafayette, when we, um, our church had a school and one of the big things that we emphasized at our school from, from pre-K, right? From pre-K all the way up to junior high and senior high was, was scripture memory, right? Like our students memorized Bible verses and not just like one Bible verse randomly. Maybe the preschoolers did that, but like we had a year where like our, our fourth and fifth graders memorized like the first two chapters, the first two Psalms, you know, like big chunks of text, right? And, 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 you know, parents were like, oh, it's too hard. Yes, it's difficult. No doubt about it, right? But think about it. This is what I try to convince them. Think about it. God has built your little one's brain to just, just be a sponge to absorb it, right? It's, it's the, the, the grammar stage, the, the stage of education where you're basically just, you just got to put a water hose in front of these kids and turn it on and they just, they soak it up like a sponge. You know, I, I tell, I told parents all the time, look, my kids have all 374 different types of Pokemon memorized. I think they can handle 10 verses, you know, out of Philippians. I think, I think they can handle it, right? Now we may think, yeah, that's little kids, right? What about us? Now, I don't have, I don't have the neuroscience to back this up, right? But all I have is pastoral experience for, what's that, for what that is worth. And unless, unless something's going on in, in your mind, the, the capacity to memorize doesn't necessarily deteriorate with age. It's maybe the speed at which you're able to do it, right? But, but your mind is still memorizing things, even involuntarily, as you get older, right? And so the, the, the trick is, is bending, your, bending your memory, right? Bending your mind. In other words, disciplining it, hence the spiritual disciplines. You're disciplining your mind for what it's already doing just in a particular direction. Does that make sense, right? In the same way your muscles are built to pick stuff up, right? The discipline of lifting weights makes it better, right? More fruitful, these sorts of things. So we're going to talk more about the, the, the power and the importance of scripture memory, but I just want to kind of throw this out there and make the case that you don't have to be, 
you know, a little eight or 10 year old to memorize big chunks of scripture. You could be eight, you could be 80. You can memorize scripture. It may take you a little longer, right? But you can do it, right? And the benefits are, um, are nothing short of amazing. So I'll leave you with that. We'll pick back up here uh, next week. So for uh, next week, let's read uh, the next chapter. So we, we just finished three, right? So we'll read chapter four uh, for next week. All right, thank you guys. Y'all have a great evening.